0: Hello and welcome to the Flathead Beacon podcast. I'm Andy Viano. This week is our annual giving back issue, celebrating the generosity of the Flathead Valley. And not surprisingly, this year's giving back issue is as much about COVID-19 as it is anything else. Nonprofits have been affected by the economic downturn, health restrictions, and more, although not all of it in a negative way. But on our show this week, I'll be joined by Bob Helder, the executive director of Habitat for Humanity of Flathead Valley. My colleague Myers-Reese wrote about Habitat for Humanity's adaptations in 2020, including a robust partnership with the AmeriCorps program. And I talked to Bob about that effort and more of what Habitat for Humanity has been doing differently, even as construction continues on the nonprofit's latest homes. You'll hear from Bob in just a few moments, followed, of course, by a rundown of the biggest news stories you may have missed from the last seven days. First, though, a reminder that this show and all of the work we produce in the Flathead Beacon is made possible in part by members of the Beacon Editors Club. Club members pay as little as $5 per month to make our work possible and keep it free for you to read, both in print and online. Members are eligible for some great bonus perks, too, and you can learn more about all of it or sign up today at BeaconEditorsClub.com. All right, let's get right to today's guest and my conversation with Bob Helder, which began with an explanation of what Habitat for Humanity is doing these days in the Flathead Valley.
1: Our mission is basically seeking to put God's love into action, Habitat for Humanity, Uh, brings people together to build homes, hope, and communities. Currently in the Valley, we are building in Lakeside, Montana. It's our current build cycle. We're building five homes for five families. We're also going to be flipping two homes in Columbia Falls, Montana, where we have purchased two of our homes back. Uh, that whole process will be beginning in January, and those families have also already been selected. So uh, that is just really exciting. With our current date, we're about we're 32 years old, and we will have built um, 62 homes serving 98 adults and 147 kids when we've completed the Lakeside and the Columbia Falls projects. How do we build affordably? Well, we do it primarily by being able to purchase land cheaply or have it donated. We do an awful lot with volunteer labor in our construction, meaning that everything except for excavation, bringing in backfill, the actual supplying of the concrete, we do it all through volunteers and our volunteers aren't trained. Uh, They just come and say, hey, we want to learn. We want to get our hands dirty and they go to work. A little COVID sideline here. Since COVID hit, we've lost 5,600 hours of volunteer time. And so our current projects are hugely behind schedule. We don't hire trades to help us with our construction, except for with plumbing, heating, electrical. Otherwise, our volunteers do it all. So when you multiply that 5,600 hours by minimum wage or what? Normally, a general contractor would pay for that type of hours. You can see the value that our volunteers bring to our construction.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about those volunteers, because I know that this year, you mentioned the, the, the hours that, that volunteers weren't able to contribute. There was an outside organization that, that you all were able to partner with uh, in AmeriCorps. What can you tell us about how that partnership came about and, and what role those folks ended up playing in, uh, in helping you uh, uh, get caught up, I guess, a little bit through, uh, through the coronavirus? Well, in a
1: typical year cycle, we have the opportunity to apply uh, for one AmeriCorps group a year, having them come and where their primary nonprofit that they serve with. Then we can often apply as a partner with another agency as a subpartner, meaning that they might work for the agency whose primary four days a week and the secondary one one day a week. Well, we got um, a current AmeriCorps group uh, for the full five days a week because AmeriCorps didn't have enough places to send their teams due to COVID. The head of AmeriCorps contacted us and wondered if we wanted additional teams. And we said, absolutely. So we said, we'll take as many teams as you can give us. And so when it's all said and done, we hope to have uh, three teams touch our work this year, possibly more. And it's amazing because we get them for, for a matter of many weeks and they work five days a week. They work eight to 10 hours a day. And these young people can really kick it in for us. So we're starting to recover. Our construction process is happening quickly. And that's good to see.
0: Are there AmeriCorps folks here right now working on building projects?
1: There are, and they are actually going to be here through the end of March.
0: How are those groups handled different, and what was the arrangement that was made for the AmeriCorps volunteers this year? Because I know those are young people from all over the country. It's not like folks uh, from here in the community that are, are going home at the end of the day and setting up. How were arrangements made this year to, uh, to accommodate those folks while they were helping you out?
1: You know what? We have to apply for the AmeriCorps group. We have to agree to AmeriCorps uh, requirements. And at the same time, AmeriCorps has to partner with our requirements. Uh, We have to provide housing for AmeriCorps. And we do that by partnering with churches and campgrounds. We're able to put the kids up and provide a wonderful place for them to stay during their time here. In addition, we do help them stay warm. When we get uh, young people from Florida, uh, the Montana can be a tad bit of a shock for them. So we'll provide hand warmers and other things to keep them happy on the job site. COVID has created an additional challenge because some of our AmeriCorps groups have been here at the same time. And so those groups are considered families. They are isolated before they come here. They are tested before they come here. And so when they are on our job site, uh, they work on one house together and we do not mix them uh, with our partner families. We do not mix them with other volunteers from the community. And we do not mix them with our regular core group of volunteers that build with us every Wednesday and Friday. We really work to isolate them so we don't have a chance to cross contaminate with COVID. That has probably been our biggest challenge. Yeah, housing is probably the most major issue that we need to provide for them. The current group that was in a church, we reset up the church, make sure they have beds and cots. We set up a little living room setting for them, which we can do through resources we have with our Restore. We provide them with a TV. We make sure they have a stove and a refrigerator. That's pretty much the special things that we do for them, in addition to just building relationships with these kids, finding out where they're from. Uh, what they're all about, what their story is, what they hope to experience while they're in Northwest Montana. Yeah, it's kind of a real relationship uh, type thing.
0: Really appreciate the time here, Bob, and I, I won't keep you much longer. But you you have mentioned the restore, it's your retail location a couple of times. I know it's been a big year for the restore. I believe there was a there was a relocation, and and I'm sure you've also dealt with uh, the challenges that that have affected all kinds of businesses impacted by the coronavirus. What, uh, what has this year been like for, for the Restore?
1: Well, 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 Andy. <laughs> a great question. Um, you know what? Um, when COVID hit, Habitat was in the process of moving across the street from a 12,000 uh, square foot facility to a 17,000 square foot facility. We were just beginning to have volunteers remodel our new facility. We were in the process of remodeling the second floor to move our affiliate offices and COVID shut us down. And as well as Habitat International requested that we, uh, during a period of time, just close down. We had a big decision to make. Were we going to become victims of COVID or were we going to become creative and uh, use this time to create our future? And that's what we chose. So we kept our whole staff working. And um, the Habitat staff remodeled the restore. They remodeled the offices. We moved into uh, the restore using all donated shelving from Shopco, which had shut down. We moved our stock over and restocked the whole restore. We restaged it. Uh, we rebranded it for Habitat for Humanity. And if you haven't seen our restore, you need to visit, you'll be amazed. We shut down the old ReStore, and we had, before we opened the new ReStore in May, around May 17, we had a whole weekend where all the community could go to the old ReStore, they could take whatever they needed, Uh, they could donate to us uh, whatever they thought it was worth, and it was amazing because we were able to give people hot water heaters, toilets, everything you could imagine that we didn't bring across to the new ReStore. And they were able to donate to them what it was worth. And many people got items that they couldn't even afford to buy. So they got them for free, but they got things that for them were just unimaginable, that they would have a brand new toilet, so to speak. Also during that time, Habitat International allowed us to continue to work with our regular volunteers. And a regular volunteer by them was defined as any person works one day a month at least eight hours in that month so we had six to eight of our regulars who during covid built all of our wall packages for our homes in lakeside so we moved our restore remodeled our restore moved our affiliate office remodeled the affiliate office built all of the walls and we wrote a brand new program for habitat for humanity called the neighborhood revitalization initiative and in that program or in that initiative, there's three programs. One is Aging in Place, where we're going to work to help seniors continue to be able to live in their homes. One is a brush with kindness where we will help people with the exterior of their homes from decks to siding, painting, roofing, yard work, that type of thing. And the third one is critical home repair, uh, which is if your furnace doesn't work, your plumbing isn't working, um, just major things that you need to have fixed in your home to be able to continue to live in your home so that you can actually have a safe place to sleep at night. All these programs, people will qualify just like for our normal programs. And they may be able to, you know, make their house payment, but if the heating system goes down, they don't have money to fix that. So as of a few weeks ago, our board of directors approved the initiative and have given us permission to begin to fundraise, to support those programs. And then over the next two years, we'll be, we'll be testing those programs. That's our COVID experience. Right now, our affiliate office is back open. Our restore is back open. Our construction site is reopened to groups. Um, So we're looking for more regular volunteers, people who can work two days a month. And we're looking for groups of five to eight people who want to help us. We're not putting individuals into groups yet because we don't want to do that mix. So we realize that uh, COVID could very easily shut us down again. So
0: uh, we're going fast and furious forward, but we're being very cautious. Well, Bob, if people do uh, want to volunteer or find out more about the the new initiative or the restore, where can they go for more information?
1: You know what? They're welcome to stop by the restore. They are welcome to come up by our office. We do practice social distancing and masks and all that, but they're welcome to do that. They can call us at 257-8800, and just follow the prompts, uh, but give us a call. And you can also email me at director at habitatflathead.org. And uh, any questions you have, and I am more than willing to redirect your inquiries to the correct person. And Andy, I got to tell you one last thing. Habitat, we're at an incredible place this year because of how this community has blessed us. And um, I just applaud those living inside and outside of Flathead County who have a heart for affordable homes and a heart to make sure that everybody has a decent place to lay their head at night. I, I applaud
0: them. That's a great spot to end it. Thanks again, Bob. Have a great day. As Bob mentioned, you can visit the Habitat for Humanity's new Flathead Valley Restore. It's at 2535 Highway 93 South in Kalispell. And you can also learn more about Habitat by visiting habitatflathead.org. And you can read Myers-Reese's story on Habitat and its partnership with AmeriCorps in this week's Flathead Beacon or at flatheadbeacon.com. Now, here are the biggest stories from the last seven days as of 8 p.m. on Tuesday, December 22nd. December is now the deadliest month in Flathead County since the COVID-19 pandemic began after the health department announced five more people had died from the virus on Tuesday. That brings the countywide total to 56, with 17 of those deaths reported just this month, breaking the previous high of 12, which was set only last month. In November, Flathead County reached what health officials called the peak of the epidemic curve, with more than 3,500 new cases, an average of 119 per day. That rate has slowed dramatically in December, when the county is averaging just 80 new daily cases, and hospitalizations have also plummeted in December, with only 11 people in the hospital battling COVID-19 as of Tuesday night, a significant drop from the 39 hospitalized patients reported at the end of November and the encouraging numbers match a statewide trend. At a press conference earlier this month, Governor Steve Bullock credited the declining caseload in part to new restrictions he implemented on November 20th, including a requirement that bars, restaurants, and casinos close by 10 p.m. In other news, the Montana Land Board unanimously approved a government proposal to acquire two new parcels of land one in Summers and another near Dayton that could significantly approve public access to Flathead Lake. The Monday approval paves the way for the creation of Summers Beach State Park on the northeast shore of the lake, a popular stretch of sandy shoreline that had been accessed by the public, thanks only to a handshake agreement with the property owners. Earlier this year, those owners, the Slider family, began discussions with Montana Fish, Wildlife and Parks and the Flathead Land Trust in order to protect the land and open up access. The other parcel is an almost 15-acre property on the lake's western shore that could become the Montebello Fishing Access Site with a dock, boat launch, and parking lot. Fish, wildlife, and parks officials said the purchases are necessary with demand increasing on the limited public access points currently available which are all regularly at or above capacity during much of the year. Elsewhere, the massive federal spending bill passed through the U.S. Congress late Monday night includes a historic measure hailed as a, quote, once-in-a-lifetime moment for the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes. The agreement will ratify the CSKT Water Compact and end a decades-long battle over the tribe's federally reserved water rights and also return the National Bison Range to tribal management. The legislation was introduced by Montana Senators John Tester and Steve Daines last December and has long had the support of tribal leaders who agreed to relinquish 97% of their off-reservation water claims throughout Montana as part of the deal. Money connected to the bill's passage is expected to help rehabilitate the Flathead Indian Irrigation Project and its infrastructure network that services 127,000 acres of agricultural land on the Flathead Indian Reservation. And finally, a ruling issued by a Flathead County District Court judge last week has brought an end to years of legal wrangling over a water bottling plant near Creston. Judge Robert Allison ruled that a ballot initiative overwhelmingly passed in 2018 to expand the Egan Slough zoning area was legal. The zoning district restricts use of the land in the area in an effort to preserve it and prohibits uses like that of the Montana Artesian Water Company. That company had been awarded a permit from the State Department of Natural Resources and Conservation that allowed it to produce up to roughly 1.2 billion 20-ounce water bottles every year. That's all for this week and for this year. Thank you so, so much for listening to this show all year long and for reading and supporting The Flathead Beacon. It means the world to all of us that you do, and I hope we've been able to help you at least a little bit to navigate the last nine months. So enjoy the holiday season, have a happy new year, and please do your part to get us all safely into 2021. Until then, check out all the latest headlines and read our year-end coverage for free at flatheadbeacon.com. Thanks again for listening.